this is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast. How's it going, guys? Hope you had a wonderful weekend. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, in the show notes, there's a link to Aerial Rehab, the new three-part video series for free, straight to inboxes for postpartum, after an injury or surgery, meant to be the bridge between physical therapy and silks class, uh, free to inboxes, midsummer. Check it out there. And also the mini course by Wrap Your Head Around Silks. Easy registration on the student portal in the links. All right, guys, this is Carmen Curtis. This is such a treat. She is the owner of the Aerial Studio in Ventura, California with her husband, Greg Curtis. She also has the Aerial Yoga brand, Aerial Yoga. I'll put those both in the links. I'm so excited for you guys to get to know Carmen. Let's get started. Okay, uh, you just came back from Europe? Yeah, it was um, quite a trip. My best friend got married in Poland because his new wife is from Poland and he was supposed to get married a couple years ago, but because of the pandemic, it didn't okay. happen. So he wanted his bachelor party in Berlin at a crazy, crazy club called Kit Kat Club. Ah. <laughs> Have you heard of it? No. Oh my God. It was, I've, I, I've never, I didn't know that existed. Um, but it was super fun because it was uh, uh, friends. We've all been friends for 20 years. So if I'm going to go to a place like that, that would be the I only mean, people I would want to go now with. Now I must know. What was the vibe? Um, well, Berlin is is very artistic and uh, like anything goes. And the vibe was uh, pretty much don't wear any clothes. <laughs> uh, unless it's like latex, uh, that was acceptable clothes. And... Anything goes. Uh, there was rules of like what you had to wear. So you got like checked. We actually, uh, the manager was, happened to be one of our friends that was there, friends from childhood. So like, you know, they pretty much clothed us or declothed us. Um, and, and then whoever you come with, you need to leave with. That was another rule. But oh, oh and then the biggest rule was you can't touch anyone unless you've asked them first, which made it super safe um, and respectful. But anything goes. Like, uh, I don't even know if I should say this on the recording, but I've just never seen it before. Like, you know, yeah, people were making out, but people were having sex. Like in wherever, you. Wherever, yeah. Like on the table or on the dance floor. Was or, this place big? yeah. And it's very, quite famous for this. Um, and it's just, and also it, you could be naked. All, like there's some people that were just completely naked. I mean, we had these like teeny, teeny, like little dresses that were very see-through with high heels. But like, if I ever went again with a group of safe, fun friends, I would wear like pretty much a bra and underwear and tennis shoes because you just dance all night. Oh, It's super fun. But there's also a pool inside that you can like sit around and put your feet in. And then there's loungy areas everywhere. And then there's just the DJ going off all night. Um, And there's a couple holes so you can play. But I've just never seen people just making out, having sex, giving blowjobs and just naked walking around, but so free and happy. Like no one was intimidated except me. It was my own issues. They were 
completely comfortable and happy. And it was just so I mean, cool. oddly, it sounds super cool in a way. But then, but then, like, the thing that cracks me up is, like, the dress code. Like, you know, like, old school, you have to wear a tie to go inside somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, the complete opposite spectrum. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I love that we're starting this podcast like this. Really <laughs> <No. happy. laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, got to be truthful. I think what was really cool, though, is it really shined light on my own, you know, body issues of, you know, they're being safe and comfortable. Why is it awkward for me? I'm the one, you know, it's however I'm internalizing it. Because we also went to these amazing water parks that were spas and water parks. So they were like mineral baths, but then there was like, you know, a five minute, you know, tube ride that you could go through. It was, and there was the 16 and over section, which was the spa, which was also, it's not clothing optional. It was, it had signs with swimsuits that had big X's on it. Like oh. no, no clothes are allowed. <laughs> and, you know, too, you're walking around, there was like pools, bars, um, tons of saunas, saunas from around the world. It's actually the biggest spa in the world that we went to. So each sauna was a different country. So it had a different theme, but you're just walking around and going, you know, to and from in and out. And everyone there seemed completely comfortable at all ages and body um, sizes. Well, of course, over 16, but, and, you know, for me and my husband, we were both like, okay, like, we just have to really like let go and just feel comfortable because this is their culture. It's just how they do it. And we felt safe. We just, you know, again, hadn't been put in that situation and had to really go inside and reflect internally on like, why am I intimidated <laughs> are there are there a lot of americans there no okay that makes sense this one was in germany that we went to um near munich um wasn't really in any major city okay i mean i feel like that is a it's definitely not a year i mean europeans like they feel very comfortable with their bodies you know there's nude beaches all over the place so yeah yeah yeah, that makes that makes sense. I would feel the same way. I think. Yeah, but it was so freeing too to be in a pool just swimming naked. You know, I've done this before and I've, you know, of course I love it. I just it was a reminder. I hadn't been, you know, in Europe in quite a few years and had that freedom and just able to let go and without judgment just and and feel those sensations of you know, a hot tub while you're naked, the pool while you're naked or swimming like with your husband naked and, you know, being able to fill our bodies with one another. It was just this whole, you know, experience that I hadn't had in quite a while. And it was just really beautiful um, to be able to like let go in that way. I love it. It's like sensory. Yeah. Which I think about a lot because I have a two and a half year old. So yeah, a lot of sensory things. Um, okay. So this is Carmen Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> podcast um, listeners um so carmen has been doing this like aerialing and momming thing for a lot longer than me <laughs> how old are your kids now 
Two kids, oh my right? Gosh. So my daughter is 20. Ah! Yes. And she is moving out in August to finish her um, last two years of college. Okay. <laughs> and runs our aerial studio and is an amazing aerialist and loves teaching aerial. And I couldn't be more proud of this, my baby, my little mm. girl. Um, that's really grown up to be very independent, which it's like this weird thing of like, I, I'm going through a different thing in mommyhood as I have to let go of my child and she's moving away from me. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's this transition that is really weird hormonally. Um, like, why would you not be living with me anymore? And yet at the same time as a mother, my wish for her is for her to love herself and feel independent and be able to be independent and thrive, you know, um, on her own. Uh, so it's this kind of double-edged sword of, I'm so proud of her ready to go and being able to go. And yet at the same time, so scared maybe for myself (laughs) and how I'm going to process that. But I also have my son, so he's 13, so I still have some time with him, which is great, but time is flying by, and he's in middle school and just this amazingly smart human that just built his own computer, loves robotics, is at junior lifeguard camp right now, and uh, is more of a parkour and trampolinist than aerialist, but, you know, lives at our aerial studio. Wow. Okay. And you've had a a transition there. No, you guys are, are you guys still in your original space? We just, yeah, we just moved to a new location. Okay. This is what I thought. Yeah. So it has been, which has been a, you know, good and bad, like, you know, being at a space for 12 years, it was kind of nice to like clean up and revamp and, you know, throw things out. Um, and I feel like post pandemic, everything is like renew, revamp, uh-huh. reimagine. Uh-huh. So it made sense to like do this. Um, we, we were kind of forced into it. Our landlord raised the rent while we were closed during the pandemic, 15% and then another 15% uh, this January. So it just felt too much, especially after being closed for so long with the pandemic. Was he trying to push you out? Yes. So we're in the industrial area because we need high ceilings and everyone around us were these shipping companies that thrived during the pandemic Mm. and ultimately needed to expand and move into our space. So we ended up luckily finding this smaller space that was more affordable and, um, the person that was actually renting it out was a friend of ours that we, that was our first client when we first started the aerial studio, him and his family. And we taught them family circus. Wow. (laughs) Come full circle. Now we're actually partnering with one another. He had a building that there became an opening. And so we were going to use that space and Then there became, within that building, there's like four sections. He had one section, then we were able to take the second. And now all four of them have become available, which he has taken on. And we have partnered with him on one of the um, sections of the building to also add a new event space and 
uh, flex space and theater. So <laughs> we've now not only moved to no lo- new location, we've now started another business called uh, Wonder House. <laughs> okay, and this is the space that uh, when the lights go out went up in. Yes, a and that ago. was also, you know. Carrie Lee, who created Mm -hmm. that show, she had reached out to Greg and I just saying, I want to, she wanted to do the show again. And she felt like LA was just too expensive. And so wondered if we knew of any theater spaces in the Ventura area. And she asked that the day after we found out that there was this additional space available. And that's additional space is, was just this, you know, warehouse that was a box and it looked like this perfect black box theater. And that was our first thought when we saw it. And then the next day for Carrie Lee to ask about that just made us feel like it might be this moment. So she, the next day came to, um, take an aerial yoga class with me and afterwards went to the space and said, let's do it. So she, inspired us to actually go for it and build it so we built it pretty much for that show and then as we can after the show we continued to finalize the build of it and that's where it became this flex space of wanting to make sure it could turn into anything you wanted so the stage is modular um, the rigging is already there but then the lights and the sound can be changed and you know can be transformed into you know, whatever, which is the beauty of the space. Um, We recently just did a commercial for Facebook. And so we, you know, turned it into a, a, like a backstage area and a green room and then a director's lounge and then a whole space for them to video and um, take photos. And so it's kind of cool to see all the new things that it can turn into and what it will turn into. I'm excited for the next chapter. Oh my God. So just to bring my listeners in on this. So when the lights, go, I, I don't, I did when the lights go out the time before, actually I was dancing for it. Was that in Santa Barbara? Yes. Yeah. I was one of the, uh, ensemble dancers. So it's a show that this woman, Carrie Lee Gore produces. And then it just went up recently and I pay attention just because a lot of my friends are in it. Um, but this is all in the Ventura, California area. And, you know, Carmen and Greg have been, you guys, you guys have had the Aero Studio. How long have you had, you know, the studio in any form? Well, for the, the Aerial Studio, we've had for 12 years. So the Aerial Studio is our training space in Ventura, California. When we first moved back from Vegas, so before, um, well, we used to, we were in Larev uh, in Las Vegas. And when we left Larev, we actually moved to Ventura, but our first space was downtown LA uh, with our company, Aerialistic. And that's where we started. Oh, I know, right? Takes Wait, us way back. Both you and Greg were in Larev. Yeah, I was. Um, Why didn't I know that? I did not know that. Oh, really? Oh my god! It was like my baby for like six years. I was a part of the research and development. So oh, for okay. six months, we got to go into this amazing warehouse and like come up with whatever we wanted, and they would just build it for us. It was so wild and. 
for research development, I was called the harness specialist. So I was supposed to go to Red Rocks um, with Climbing Sutra and make up a whole bunch of new styles of harnesses and then come back into the theater and then make up weird wild aerial acts that had to do with like a restaurant scene or um or like dreaming or flying and all of these different ideas and so it was just this like playground for me i never had that experience before where you could just like okay i want to have 10 harnesses and you know 10 riggers doing this this and this and we're gonna do this and they're like okay great we'll have it all set up for you tomorrow and you're like with like limitless budget and just please explore and dream and create and be open to whatever you want. Um, which was such a gift for me because I had come from gymnastics and, you know, doing shows like De La Gorda and touring with that, but I was always directed and told what to do. And this was the first time I got to create and make it up and do whatever I wanted to do. And oh my then, God, I'm going to make you do your, you're going to, you're going to, I'm going to make you like explain your entire resume. I'm so like, okay. <laughs> You did De La Gorda. So what year did, what year was that? For me, uh, it was in, I started in New York in 1999. And Greg and I both got in, but we didn't tell them we were a couple until we both got in. Oh, okay. So 1999, you did De La Gorda together. Yeah. And then, York. and then you moved to Vegas. Then actually we went... If with De La Gorda, they sent us uh, on a little bit of a tour. We went to Vegas for, I think it was like six months. And then we went to Korea for six months um, to do De La Gorda in Seoul. Wow. And this is all before you had any kids? No. <laughs> so, Wait, I'm so confused. What year is it? She's I, 20. Uh, She's 20. That means... 2002, she was born. And so after, so from De La Gorda, after Vegas, after that tour, we took off six months and lived in Los Angeles with our company, Aerialistic, while we were creating some shows. And I got pregnant. And then I had the, I had Zoe, okay. my baby. And at that time, no one around had babies. None of my friends, we didn't even know what to do. I didn't know how to change a diaper. I was like, my career's over. What am I, you know, right. I was 26. I was so worried. No one that I knew was like an aerialist had kids and came back. Um, but at 10 weeks after Zoe was born, De La Gorda called and asked if we would move back to New York and they would pay for a trainer to get me back in shape and they would pay for a nanny oh. to watch uh, Zoe, our child, during the show and they would change our schedules so really we, um, like Zoe didn't really need a nanny except like twice a week and I only had to do one show a day. It was like, it was wild. I mean, this would never happen nowadays, but just they also had never had a performer that had a baby. So they were like, yeah, okay. that's the thought I was having right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Whole, yeah. Oh my God. So they got me back there. I started just with like chanting and then, you know, running in the harness on the wall and then got fully back into it. And then the nanny would be in the dressing room with Zoe. Um, and it was, it was really cool. Actually. She was like the Buddha baby. She was the calmest, sweetest thing ever. She would actually sleep during the show 
And then when we would get done, we'd be done like at 11 p.m. We would we would then go to dinner. This is like the performer life, right? Eating at like midnight. Right. right. And she would wake up from 11 until um, 1 a.m. And then she would sleep until noon. Mm, <laughs> this is what I've heard from a lot of my Cirque du Soleil families. Yeah, she just yeah. she just lived with us and so it just she went into our timing and so we never had this like I don't sleep, you know, I'm a new mom and I don't sleep. It was just she just she was such a great sleeper. Oh my god, I was so lucky. And <laughs> we would just bring her everywhere and um and then from at, we were in New York, then they put us on tour uh to go to Korea. And they paid for a Korean nanny while we were there also. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Um, I did hear, though, after that, they never did it again for another performer because they realized it was just very expensive. Um, But it was awesome. So she was in Korea with us. um, And then after Korea, we moved back to L.A. And... Uh, continued our work with Aerialistic, which we were, you know, creating all of these harness shows. And that's when the the director of Cirque du Soleil at the time was Franco Dragon. Mm-hmm. And he had been looking for two years for someone that was a gymnast, a dancer, a harness specialist, and a scuba diver, and and a swimmer. And a diver. <laughs> I think I was like the only person that had those weird. And you're a swimmer conditions. diver too. Yes. Um, when I was a gymnast, I at one point hurt my neck really bad. So I had to do swimming as my physical therapy. And I ended up just becoming a competitive swimmer at the school. So um, I actually had a choice in scholarships if I want to take a swimming scholarship or a gymnastic scholarship um, for college. And I chose gymnastics. But so I, I definitely. I, I knew how to swim well. Um, I had also trained with diving. And then scuba diving was, we were in Korea, and one of the performers that was performing with us was this amazing scuba diver, but he wanted to become a scuba diver teacher. So in order for him to become a teacher, he had to go through um, this new um, course, but then he had to bring in two people and teach them in front of the other teachers. So we just were kind of his guinea pigs. And we did this in Korea, right on the border of North Korea. The water was dark. The water was cold. There was like fighter jets all above us. And we, you know, took the certification in water that you couldn't see anything freezing. It was quite torturous. I I never wanted to scuba dive after I got certified. Um, I was like, I'll never do this. Thank goodness we ended up going to Hawaii and scuba diving in warm, beautiful water. Now, you know, I realized why people love scuba diving. But that's how I got my scuba diving certification. So when Franco was looking for someone, I was like pretty much the only person that fit (laughs) the description. And so he hired me then to move to Vegas for six months to do the research and development. And then we moved to um, uh, Belgium because that's where his big warehouse is in Mons. And that's where we actually finished the creation of Larev and all of the other 50 performers from around the world came to Belgium. So from the research and development in that six months, about 10% of the things that we created were kept 
And those acts then were put on to the new performers in Belgium and continued to, you know, create and um, make into what we would then be bringing back to Las Vegas so we could open up the show The Rev. Well, and the Rev is on the win, and it's not Cirque du Soleil. So uh, there was a no. break, right? Franco Dragon, there was a break from Cirque du Soleil at a certain point. Yes. So he actually left Cirque du Soleil because he wanted to make he wanted to make his dream shows, and I guess Cirque was limiting him in certain ways. So he decided to create a company called Dragon. And That's right. Okay. Steve Wynn then hired Dragon, Franco, to make uh, La Rev, which is called The Dream. So this was his dream show that he had always wanted to make. And it was in the water, in a circle, audience was super close, stages that go you know down 20 feet, the rigging is up at 90 feet. It was... It was crazy, crazy to create that um, and perform in that for so many years. And um, yeah, amazing journey for me as a performer and creator, because then I became the dance captain. And I think this is what really pushed me to continue to want to teach and share. Um, Just, you know, I was slowly getting to the end of my career. Um, Well, performance career performance career in the sense of just I was getting older but it was like I was starting to transition in a sense of I love to create it and I love to perform but I was starting to feel a lot of joy teaching people the acts and seeing Mm. them perform and I would know how good it feels I just I knew what they were going through and I was I was so proud and excited for them and as the dance captain we would get these new performers and we'd have to teach them the acts and as the show continued when it first started they brought in the top performers um to to create the show and then as it continued they would bring in newer younger more novice performers that you know maybe didn't even have harness experience and so we'd have to teach them harness and then teach them the acts and maybe some of them weren't they were gymnasts and they weren't even ever dancers we'd have to teach them how to dance and so you really got to see a lot of growth in these young new performers um and I started to find a lot of joy in that. So I think when we did move to Ventura and, you know, we didn't plan to open the studio. It was like our community asked for it and my daughter really wanted it. And I just, I had so much joy in teaching people it. So, you know, when we moved to Ventura and opened the studio, it was like, I I love teaching people it. Then I realized I needed to teach teachers because I I can't do this all by myself. So it kind of just, you know, evolved into this. We use the space to create acts, but then we use the space to teach new people. And then I started to create um, aerial and aerial yoga curriculum so we could, you know, create more teachers and expand and, and, and grow because people... You know, when I first started Ariel back in 1997, I think it was, you know, it was privately done. I was taught by a Cirque du Soleil performer. I was told, like, these are my tricks. Don't teach anybody else, you know. And it was just totally different. Whereas now, it's like, you know, I, I teach these tricks. And it's like, it's not mine. It's this, like, global consciousness. And we've all mm-hmm. created it together. And, you know, I there's no... I've like let go of this competition and I've like let go of this, you know, need to hide. And instead more of like, you know, 
share and spread and make sure that we're sharing and spreading in the safest way possible because people are using aerial as a form of fitness, but also as for mental health, a form of expression. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the beauty of it. And and in aerial, I know I need to keep talking, but in aerial, you don't have to be like tall or skinny. You can be big, little, you can be any shape and size because it's a form of expression and dance. You can do it quirky. You can do it sexy. You can do it funny. Like it's, it's how you, you, move and share and express yourself and you know as a dancer there's a lot of times you had to look a certain way or as a gymnast we had to be short and strong and flexible and in aerial it's like it can be for anybody and any level and I just think that is so beautiful and and it's it needs to be shared and more people need to try it and explore it. Oh, Carmen, I'm geeking, geeking out on you, mostly because like there are just a handful in the dance community and in our aerial community of that generation before me. And I would say when I say my generation, I put even like Brenda and Tanya and Sarah Romanofsky. Yeah. And then in your generation, I put Terry Beeman, yeah. Drea. Drea um <laughs> and uh it is such an interesting thing to listen because age-wise you're not that much older than me but like generally no yeah. i just did the math you were 26 when she was born i'm 46 now yeah i'm 45 you are mm-hmm. yeah wow. yeah i moved out here when i was 23 did 20 years just dancing but yeah. I started training Ariel when I was 30. Yeah, it, it is interesting yeah. because we are the same age, but yeah, our generation was different yeah. because the world of Ariel was so different. So when, you know, Drea and I and Bianca and Terry, we all started, you know, it was just coming. It felt like it was just coming to America, really. You know, you know, my husband, Greg, he's a little bit older than us. And, you know, he was in Cirque du Soleil. And then um, moved back to L.A. And it was just coming into the United States um, because mainly it was in Montreal and in Europe and Poland and Russia. And so for us, we why that generation is different is because we had to like... I felt like we had to figure it out a little bit on our right, own. Right, right. You guys we didn't, felt like yeah. We were making it up. Like, there was no names for it. It was like when Drea or Bianca or I would make up something, it was like we would make a name for it just so we could all remember the choreography together. It wasn't this, like, oh, trick database, you know. It was just, like, you know, and loop through. That's when we're going to go into this next thing. And, you know, it was just being made up. Even the hammock, you know, you know, the hammock is a new apparatus and the hammock wasn't around when we first started Ariel. Uh, Greg, my husband, Andrea, actually for me, and I'm sure it started in other places, but for in California and for most of us in this older generation of Ariel, we had never seen a hammock before, but because Greg knew some rigging from De La Gorda, he would always be making up all these new weird apparatus for us. And 
he had to do a gig with Drea in New York and they ended up just one day taking the silk and looping it up and, and like coming up with an act, which ended up becoming a hammock. And then the next thing was like, Bianca was going to share it, you know, um, I think with Cirque. And so she made up a, a choreography and like, that's all I knew at first was this like one choreography. Um, because in that time too, making it up was like, when, I don't know, when was this? 1998 or something, I think. The Key Club. The on, Key Club! On, no, I remember going to the Key Club for a carnival. Well, they ended up putting uh, an aerial point for us. And Bianca, Andrea, Greg, and I, every Saturday, we had to make up a new act. And we would do the act at the club every Saturday. So it was like, we were just coming up with this just wild stuff. Like we like for Christmas, we'd be hanging in a harness and put a box around us and pop out of the box and do a harness number. Or that's also where it went from rope and silk to putting in some hammocks and trying bungee out. And, you know, so it's just, it was, it was so new. Um, but we had all come from strong disciplines as, um, you know, either, dancers or gymnasts at a very high level Olympic level national champion level to where we had discipline um and we were trained aerial but we made it safe from our original discipline we knew how to make it safe because we knew how to how to train uh how to do repetition the importance of repetition and alignment because of our you know backgrounds so I felt like it was you know this generation making it up but also finding out how to keep it safe oh I love it I remember going to key club because I moved here in 2000 and I remember seeing like an aerial act (laughs) somewhere in between the dance acts and I was like what is that and I mean, OK, I'm so geeking out on this. And I know that this worldwide community might not be so connected to my small community because uh, my community is the L.A. community. Right. So, yeah, it's it's an important community in our worldwide community because this is the entertainment center of the world. So we have TV and film coming out of out of the city. And I just, you know, it's really interesting because age gets thrown out of the whole equation right but the generational thing that you're talking about like for example like shannon beach i'd kind of put her in between right because she was she was getting trained by drea at this time like right at the 2000s 1999 and then hollywood aerial arts was opened right then uh ray opened it and then you know that studio trained sarah and leslie and and tanya and brenda and all these people and now they're my very close friends but what's so interesting is the time that you're talking about and erica was erica Lins was talking about this too how um when she was doing duo straps she was making everything up there was no instagram there was no yeah. like this hive mind of of choreography and tricks and and technique but now it's it's so crazy because it's so fast if you think about it like mm-hmm. 20 years you guys were making stuff up had no contact with other people across the world 20 years later like it's so different 
Yeah. Like, I don't, I've not made up anything at this point, I want to say. Original. I, I say that because I think it's true. Like, there's no way I've made up something original at this point. Well, well like, I put I mean, my own, I, I put my in, myself into it. Yeah. Well, but that's the difference of you've been trained in that way. You've been trained, you've gone to a place yeah. and you already had this amazing background as a dancer. So first off, the teachers are probably like head over heels excited about that because once you learn, once you gain the strength and learn the trick, the technique of the trick, you'll be able to express it and make it your own, you know? Um, but you came into a place and they were telling you what to do and you, you did those. Um, like, like I said, when I first learned, I, I was taught a choreography so I could go perform it. And then that's all I knew from it. So that I had to, I had, I was, I wanted to continue to explore because, you know, every, I think it was really the key club forced this. It's like every weekend we need a new act. Um, so we had to, continue to explore trying moving in this direction or that direction. But again, with that, there was, so the trapeze has been around a lot longer. The rope has been around a lot longer. Really everything that was, we were doing on the rope, we could just put over to the silk. Right. Mm. And then a lot of the things that we did on the trapeze, we could put over to the hammock. So Mm -hmm. within that we were making it up, but we were also using some, the skills of the foundation from circus from way back when, you know, so it's always whenever maybe we do make something up or you feel like you made it up. I've just kind of learned to feel this like global connection um, of it could have been made up somewhere else in the world. I wouldn't, we wouldn't really know. There's this global consciousness. If I'm thinking about it, probably someone else is thinking mm-hmm. about it. The uh, hundred monkeys. Uh, yes. Yes. Like every, like a hundred monkeys around the world could be making the same thing up, but it's original to them. Yes. Right? And also whatever my experiences have been, um, maybe I heard something, maybe I saw something, of course, like back in our day, there was no, like, I think we just had a flip phone that had come out. There was no e- emails were just starting, you know, um, there was no videos, but there was experiences that, that I'd been through. I had, you know, danced, I had, you know, done a lot of the harness I knew how to flip I was a gymnast I could and then I would watch other things and it would you know inspire me and so it comes from everything together I think the foundation though is something that you've learned but probably from your experiences you teach probably different because you're like oh wow I know I need to teach them slower because I had issues with this, you know, or something, you know, your experiences change everything that you do. Um, even though there's this, you know, fundamental foundation, even when we crazy new things, like we have the moon now and we have a star and we have all these different apparatus, you always go back to your classic foundational things. Um, you know, and this is how I've, been with gymnastics too of you know you're gonna go back to okay now we're gonna do a forward roll now we're gonna do a backward roll the same thing when there's a new apparatus i'm gonna pull up pull over you know just do the classic foundation then see where it can evolve and and grow from there yeah it seems like now 
like I'm a, the people I'm around a lot, like Brett Womack. Mm-hmm. The, keeping in mind the idea that most of the stuff is not like like completely original anymore but still when i'm around him and i see him doing stuff compared to mine i think i feel like he's doing ariel on another planet like yeah. i don't even understand what he's doing half the time yeah so i think that's the coolest part because even with somebody in such close proximity to me like his style has taken his stuff into a new place and hopefully yeah. i will do the same right Yes, but yes, you will and you yes. do. You do. <laughs> that's the that's the beauty of it. Is like your body can only move like your body. You can't move like Brett, but you can be inspired by that and and see. Oh, he's slowing down that transition. Let me try to link that. But your body is going to tell a different story. That's the beauty of it. This is what I. I, I love about why we can't really have competition. Really, we want to lift everyone up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if everyone's happy and supported, like everything's going to be greater. But the same choreography is going to look different on everybody. You can start to change choreography. Like in Larev, we needed everyone to look the same and be on point exactly the same. But there's still differences with the you know body type um, and the way they express it. And the other thing is that even though you're not making up a new trick, that trick will look so different if you do it super slow um, or super fast, you know, or pause at different moments. It's it's just incredible how some of the simplest things can just look so beautiful or so different or so inspiring, even though it's something that you've seen before. Like with Brett, I'm sure even when he climbs, you're like, wow, that's a no, good. I mean, he's he's an alien. He's like, yeah. he's he's very abnormally good. <laughs> but, but because he's done it so long. So yeah. that's the thing. When your body has done it for so long, it just you don't even have to try to move. It just becomes so efficient in in its movement. And it just becomes it just lives inside you, which is, you know, Something that like for me, why, why I can always still continue to do aerials, I've just done it for so many years. It's just who I am, um, especially with harness, um, it, you know, it just it, it comes back right when the harness gets, you know, put on um, just because of that repetition. I mean, doing 10 shows a week, you know, for 20 years, you, you it starts to live inside you. Actually, I used to sometimes come home and think my harness was still on. Wow. <laughs> Is that weird or what? No, I don't think so. I think I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, Carmen. Okay, I'm going to break this down into two parts. I would love to see if you have any advice out there for studio owners. And then I wanted to ask you if you have any advice for Ariel Mamas. Yeah. Um, you know, at any stage, because I am a new me and my group of friends, we have toddlers. Yeah. And so we're kind of dealing with everything that comes with that. And it's I don't even know how you did this on the road. It is. It's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, for those two groups and you can go ahead and answer as you want. Well, it is a lot. Um And being a mother is a huge blessing and um, it's a gift for sure. And I don't know how we did it either. We just, we just did. We just, we didn't think about it. We just 
did it. You know, um, the biggest thing for me is that I, I felt very blessed to be a mom and I, I love my children. Um, and they have taught me so much and they have made me a better person. Having them actually gave me more purpose. I, I wanted to continue to grow and become a better person, uh, for them. And so I, I think feeling that kind of gratitude makes it easier and reminding myself of that. And then as an aerialist, you know, it also taught me, especially having a female about my own, you know, body issues, but also taught me about how uh, I do get to express myself and how I do feel empowered and safe. So doing aerial actually taught me a lot about what I wanted to teach and how I wanted to guide my daughter. And as a studio owner, I don't know how I did it as a mom either, except I just like made it work. You know, my kids were young when we opened the studio. So I had to find a way to make it work. And, you know, going to pay a nanny while you go teach, you know, doesn't always work out financially, but I knew it was something that I personally needed to do so I could come home and be a better mom and also feel like I'm continuing to grow as a human, which I want them to see. Um, but then I also made it work in the sense of, okay, I'm teaching. So there should be a little teeny kids class going on at the same time. So, you know, uh, they're entertained at the same time as while I'm working. One of the challenges I had though, was this like mommy guilt of Mm. being away. Like when you get a gig and you're like, uh, I have to leave. Like, I'm going to go teach a teacher training. It's going to be a week. You know, I, I had a hard time with that. Like, am I missing out on something? Is, is this hurting them? Is this bad for them? And now that they are older, um, I have to say that the mommy guilt was actually stressful for me and torturous for me and hurt me more physically and mentally than it did my children. My children, I would recognize like, my husband would get a gig and he'd be gone for a month and then he'd come home and they still loved him just as much as they did before. And I took care of them and they were fine. Um, and I had to recognize that like when I am gone, like my husband's going to take care of them. They're fine. Or my mom or whoever I have, uh, they're, they're safe. I've put them in a safe place and them, they started to see what I did around the house and they started to appreciate that more. They started to miss me and have to deal with those feelings. And we would talk about it of it's okay. I'm always going to come home. Well, let's talk on the phone. Um, and let's spend more time when I get back or let's remind ourselves how we feel right now. So we can appreciate the time when we're together. I think it taught them tools to be resilient and, and to love even more and to be compassionate um and to be proud of their parents um you know of course you need to find that kind of balance and make sure that they're getting enough time you know with you but i would i would suggest trying to let go of that own internal struggle as a mother that maybe some of you might have and and realize that it's okay and they will grow from it and that 
as long as you are always knowing that you are trying to do your best, you are trying to become a better person, you wake up every day grateful and you are loving life and you love them and you are in this moment doing what you think is the best thing, then it's going to be fine. And to give yourself uh, a little break and try not to <laughs> hurt yourself internally with that, those feelings. I mean, this mommy guilt thing is so real in the weirdest ways, too, because like, for example, for a very poignant example, my daughter can get through these podcast recordings because I don't she's with me, right? She's she's two and a half. So she does really good, but because she's on my device, right? She's on my phone. She's got her headset on. She's playing her game. She's listening to her music. Her her dad is a drummer. And then, of course, I'm a dancer aerialist. So she's just like, it's it's in her. She's just bopping away to music. And which is great because I know a lot of parents of toddlers, they can't record a podcast with their kid in the room. I know. I know that's the case. But the amount of like going in my head, oh, my child is on a device because I have to work. It's 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 no matter what. Like, I can be grateful that we can pull this off. That's great. But I feel that all the time, you know, like, you know, like she's not playing right now. I'm not playing with her. She's not having fun most of the day. She's just sitting around having watching me work. And uh, yeah, that's very real. And I don't really know how to get rid of that. (laughs) I mean, that's going to continue because, you know, now my son builds computers and does robotics, but then, you know, he wants to play video games all day. I feel like this is a, like, it will continue to challenge you. Um, But, you know, I think the thing is that there's got to be balance with it. I mean, before we had devices, because I call it like, you know, you know, the digital nanny, right? But Mm -hmm. before we had devices, we were like, here's a coloring book, color. Here's these toys. You know, we were always trying at moments or if parents needed to work, they, they were trying to entertain their children um, for a while to have some like self-play. I think that in life, being able to, my mom needs to work for two hours, I'm going to be on a device. She's also learning a little bit of to be on her own, to take care of herself, um, you know, definitely we need to find balance with how much that they are on the devices but I also think that in our world, she needs to be able to know and understand how to use those devices. And there are some wonderful programs on them. I mean, if she's like listening to music, dancing around, it's almost like, I mean, that is amazing. You know what I mean? I yeah, that she chooses so- to do that with her time on there. You know, just be yeah. on Spotify. You know how it'll just kind of the algorithm just moves with you. So yeah. she like finds all this music. I was like, how did I, <laughs> we have this, you know, it's my Spotify playlist. So I'm like, oh my God, it's transformed. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I it's, think a, it's a part of it. You also, you know what I mean? It's, she does need to be able to have something to do, but she's also with you, which is kind of nice that, you know, and you know, there might be days that she comes in and like the podcast, she's there. And it's like, that's just real. And that's just you. And to be honest, it probably wouldn't ruin a podcast. It would make it, I would almost enjoy it. 
uh, out of like this person is showing real life of trying to, you know, yeah, have this quiet time, but there is real life and managing it in a way where you're like, okay, hi, you know, like, and learning to deal with it in that kind of way. Um, I think it's like a wonderful experience, but we all, we all are facing that with devices right now, no matter what age that they're at. And I think earlier you can trying to talk about the benefits and also the negativities of it and um, trying to teach some sort of self-control and put some boundaries, uh, the better, because, you know, they are going to be using it. I mean, my son is 13. He, he, you know, rides his bike to school, rides his bike back. It's like, I like that he has his device just in case anything happens, mm-hmm. you know, it makes me feel wonderful. Um, but then when he comes home and he's just playing video games on it, like that starts to get like too much. But I've also found that if we say, okay, you can do that for half an hour, it's a way for him to like kind of like let go of the school day just like get out of his head and he it's a calming soothing thing for him also but then finding that balance of now if we continue it's not gonna be a positive thing we have to now also like go outside or do Mm -hmm. your homework you know it's like definitely putting those boundaries on because what I have found is the earlier that I did it now, when they've gotten older, I don't have to force it. I don't have to be the bad guy. There's there's already an understanding of, yes, too much is not going to be positive and I need to try to schedule it out. Um, and, you know, my daughter's in a different generation where the phones did come out, but she was never given the opportunity to be on it like all day. So she's mm-hmm. not just like on TikTok all day. But that girl can shop very well on her device (laughs) a lot. So she's at like a different place of using it. Um, And one of the other greatest tools for teaching the children, I think, is like being able to witness other people um, in a way that doesn't feel right. I feel really lucky that two of my son's friends are on their device all the time they're always late they don't talk enough and he sees that and it's actually been this like reflection on him of like whoa okay i need to monitor myself because it's doesn't make for a good friend and it feels disrespectful um whereas like my daughter's also had some experiences like that to be able to to see what you know has happened to some other friends that have gotten lost in that world and you know, have been wonderful reminders for her not to. But again, if you are doing a podcast for an hour or two and your daughter is on a device and able to be on her own, I you're not ruining that child at all. <laughs> Thank you for that <laughs> little vote of confidence. Um, I, I always like, we have a pool right outside the door because we're in this, you know, very LA Van Nuys apartment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always just make sure she has a little playtime <laughs> after and then, and then we come back to it and I really try. I really try because I'm just like, I can't even do this for that long. You know, sitting at my desk, it, it makes me crazy. So, um, Carmen, I have to say, I like, tell her. I think you should tell her. This is the other thing. Like, we are not super, 
heroes. We don't know anything. Like I, I, we're, we're all just making it up, right? Trying to do our best. We don't know what these digital devices, like they're all new to us. I think you should tell her like, you know, I love you. I love you. I love being with you. I also love what I do. And I know that there's times you have to be on your own. I want to make sure that you feel good with that. And I, I think this is appropriate, but I don't want you to be on it too much because I want to protect you from, you know, watching it too much or, you know, getting obsessed with it. So I think telling her these things, does she totally understand it? Maybe not, but she then gets to hear you be real and loving you, but also trying to protect you. And, you know, I think that is important because then she hopefully can grow up to start making some of her own decisions one day too. If you've given her that time and opportunity and showed her how you process I love that. The other day I said to her, because I messed up, like, I didn't mess up. She wanted to flush the toilet with her poo inside it. (laughs) And I forgot and I just flushed it. And she cried so hard, right? Because I... I flushed it and there was no way to get that back. Like that poo was gone, right? So so I told her, I was like, mama's going to mess up all the time. Like all the time. Every day. (laughs) Like... And it's okay. And so we had that talk. And man, uh, Carmen, I am so delighted for this conversation. I love that I don't plan these things because this is what happens. Like it just goes down a rabbit hole and we come out of it in a way that I never would have planned necessarily. So I love it. And you are a wealth of knowledge. I, You and I are the same age, but I feel like, I feel, do you, do you have a, I wouldn't even say that you feel like an old soul. I wouldn't say that because in a way it's the opposite too. But I think it's because you're of that older generation in my small world. And it feels like you're like a, you know, a role model and we can look up to you. So. Aw, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. I do feel like not the old soul, but I feel like I, I was meant to be, like the mom. Oh, okay. You know, or the teacher. Okay. And I, you know, stepped into that and I had to step into that when I was a lot younger. Um, so I think that is where there's that bit of feeling like the grandma of the aerial world, (laughs) (laughs) but I accept it and I embrace it. And I, um, yeah. And I'm very proud. I'm very proud of it. And it's so inspiring to see so many new people get into the world of Ariel and, and love it and be doing it wonderfully and safe. I think as long as we can continue to stay safe and be non-competitive and really lift each other up and support one another, it's going to be amazing. Um, and I, I look forward to seeing where it continues to blossom with the younger generation because you guys just have so much more. You have so much more. Um, and I think you have more support. I think you have yeah. more well, there's opportunities. An, yeah, there's like an infrastructure underneath us for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a digital infrastructure. There's a community infrastructure, at least at least in my community. I know that's not the case for everyone around the world. There's a lot of people who are, you know, on their backyard rig by themselves listening yeah. to a podcast, <laughs> trying trying to learn things off the Internet. Um, 
but yeah, we, you know, I, I, I feel the same way every single time, like a big pop artist has an aerialist in their show or another huge show goes up. I'm just so excited because I feel like we're still growing Yeah, as a community. And I, I think that's great. So. And the biggest pop stars are doing that, which is amazing. Yeah. You guys put Diva Dari in the air, right? For Beyonce. Yeah, for Beyonce. That was amazing. And yeah. I got to put their dancers in the air also. And oh. I got to teach Beyonce harness and it was amazing experience. It was so cool because on that experience, I also got to teach them yoga, fitness, wellness, and aerial yoga so I could protect their bodies while they were on tour. So that was just like, I just love that Beyonce allowed for that and, and embraced that and encouraged that because that therefore her dancers became strong enough and healthy enough to learn what they needed to learn, but also strong enough and healthy enough to make it through the tour. And so that's kind of like my next thing is to yes, create and choreograph, but then also integrate the wellness side so we can keep everyone safe. I love that. And I feel like because you, uh, you brought Diva Dari to LA pretty much because she moved here after, after that. And she is, uh, she is a leader in the community too, because representation really, really, really matters. And there's, we need more of a Dariel. So yeah. uh, shout out to, shout out to David Dari. Um, so yes, Carmen, uh, thank you so much for carving out the time and sharing your wisdom. We all appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so inspired by you and, inspired that you are hosting this uh i just i think it's really incredible and i love how you create community and bring everyone together and i think that's super super important so congratulations and thank you thank you thank you thank you so much to carmen for carving out the time to pop on the podcast uh it was such a treat to talk to you i i loved it and um totally geeked out on your your like your journey is so amazing uh all right my friends uh go to the show notes for links to aerial rehab three-part series and the mini course uh and please honor me with the five-star rating anywhere you get podcasts it really really helps this grow and we can touch farther parts of the world Um, and small aerial communities all over, hopefully. And uh, I really appreciate you guys. I will see you guys next time. This is The Expecting Aerialist.